Hi, Jen. Hello, Tisha. <laughs> How's it going? Good. I think I, 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 you said last week how you listen to our episodes sometimes and I was doing something and one of our episodes, I mean, I obviously listen to our episodes because I edit them, but like the intro started and I was kind of like, I think I say hello almost the exact same way every single time. And I'm pretty confident it's from years working as somebody who either answers phones as like a host in a restaurant or a receptionist or as someone's assistant of being like, I mean, sometimes I like to shake it up. Mark Abraham's office. <laughs> Thank you for calling Strike Entertainment. How can I help you? Yes. <laughs> Jen, school year is almost finished. I know the countdown how. is on. How are you doing? It's bigger. I mean, it's a big deal for me, but right now you are, must be like drowning a little bit. Yeah, no, totally drowning. And can't wait for summer. I bet. Yeah. I have mixed feelings about summer. <laughs> I was going to ask. Yeah. Teachers are always excited. Parents are like, really? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm pretty psyched because the kids have three weeks of camp and then we're going away for a week. So like if we can nudge, nudge, get some other people to invite us to their cottages, um, <laughs> get some like road trips on, on our docket. It won't be that bad. I mean, we do road trips anyway. We'll drive to yeah. about any beach um, and, you know, do that stuff. But there's elements of summer that I appreciate. I feel like the last day of school is going to be hard for my kids though, because they're already like excited, but they both like love their teachers yeah love them it's always like that desperately but i don't recall well it's definitely never been that way for wyatt but he also hasn't ever had a regular yeah. school year um but he and as and he did really enjoy his kindergarten teachers but he never had he's never you know what i'm realizing right now him and adelaide have never had a proper last day of school no we've not talked about this I never thought about it, but it, it's yeah. hitting me right now. They've, they've never had like a proper school year. I knew um, that. Like I knew my all of it. Adelaide's never... birthday is in June. As is why. So this is her first year having her, wait for it, having her birthday announced by the principal because she's never been in school for her birthday before. Oh, that's why it's going to look. And it was huge. Like that was everything to her and we take it for granted because that's just something that happens at school all of the time but for our youngsters who weren't in school that's huge like this is her third year of school but only the first time she's ever heard her name on the announcements for her birthday so yeah, I, don't, I didn't even realize that big That'd deal why it's too <laughs> yeah he'll probably be pumped oh he's gonna be like super jacked. I remember pre-COVID or maybe it was just our former principal, but on your birthday, you also got to go down to the office and like, I don't know, pick an eraser or something. And I yeah. Logan was in grade one or two. And I was like, do you not want to go to school on your birthday? He was like, yeah, I do. I'll, I'll take another day, mom. Like I got to pick my eraser and blah, blah, blah. And like our school, especially is very small and with the names like Logan and Wyatt there usually aren't like other kids with those names so then everyone in the school will say happy birthday to you too because everybody kind of yeah. knows everybody else yeah because they're so small um yeah 
So yeah, it's a, it's a whole thing. It's very interesting. And actually, now that you're saying it, had we continued with our plans to go down to the States, Wyatt probably would have missed when his name was called because his birthday falls on a weekend. Ah, so yeah, we'll do it the day after. They do it on like the Monday or whatever. Yeah. Um, very interesting. Oh, pandemic times. Yeah. I ran into a little girl like the other day walking around the corner and the lady who was with her was not her mother, but was a caregiver was like, see, people aren't that scary because she's the little girl's like nervous about people because she was born during pandemic when you couldn't really interact with strangers. And so, yeah. And I think like maybe her parents didn't really take her many places. Oh yeah. I right? mean, I don't know that I would. Um, no. Funny. So we had our school um, fun fair on Friday night and it was huge. Tisha, because she's a teacher at the kids' school, she was there helping out. And like we had a turnout. I mean, we've only been in the school for for six years, but parents who have been around for longer say they can't remember ever having a turnout like this. It was and incredible. I, and I remember at one point um, around the corner for me are lots of like two and three year olds. Mm -hmm. And so we had sold them raffle tickets and I saw this one little girl come and she hasn't really like even prior to COVID, she was never in daycare. Her nono took care of her. And like, you, I could kind of see the excitement slash fear on Rhea's face when mm -hmm. I was like running my game and I saw them and like waved to them from across. She was very much like, you could tell she was really unsure of it, <laughs> which yeah. I, mean, I can understand. Like that's, I mean, I find crowds generally very overwhelming anyway as an adult, but like she's never probably been to like an amusement park or mm -hmm. the zoo when it's busy or you know so to have all of these like you know almost 2,000 yeah. people around is crazy yeah um, it would be for sure but it was so nice to actually do one of those things that we haven't done in so long yeah like it was awesome have the, have the festival and yeah I mean raise money for the school but like just I don't know see people that you don't see usually it was wild i was selling tickets and it was busy like the two and a half hours or however long i was signed up to volunteer for just flew by so quickly yeah. and my kids also came just to attend and they had the time of their lives and it's not their school but they haven't had that experience in so long yeah um and it's just so nice to see people out and see the community out and people having a good time. I'm hoping to have a summer filled with, with all, of all that. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's do it. Whose episode are we uh, listening uh, to now? Serena Holmes. Ooh. All we right. So we're releasing an episode with Serena Holmes this week who has a book called... She'll tell you all about it. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it right now because yeah. we recorded it. You a can while listen ago. to the episode. And you can listen to the episode. The accidental entrepreneur. The ad. Uh, that's it. The Is that what it's called? I don't what? think so. You can listen and you can message us or even leave them. See review if we're right. If we're right or not. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do record these intros before I've got the episode in many cases, and this yeah. is one of those cases. Yeah. 
very well prepared and well researched for recording this intro today. Apparently, I feel like this is the benefit of the style of podcast that we are, where yeah. we really let our guests take the reins. So, yep, um, my brain is complete mush, like complete mush. Yeah, I have said things that made no sense all day long, and I'm like, I'm really sorry. I've been feeling a little overwhelmed, I think, and so my mind is like not focused. No, I, I can see that. <laughs> yeah so oh, there we are enjoy Serena's episode yes. share the podcast with your friends check out our patreon everything's linked in the show notes guys follow us engage with us share the podcast help more people find us when you rate and review that does that and it's free and we will love you forever we already love you because you're listeners but we'll love you extra you'll get extra love <laughs> And who can't use a little extra love these days? Hi, I'm Jen and welcome back to the Now What Pod. And I'm Tisha. Thanks for joining us once again. Today we have Serena Holmes who lives in Pickering and she is an entrepreneur and an author. Her book is called The Accidental Entrepreneur, which is part memoir, part business book. And we're going to talk a little bit about the story that is contained within that book. So here she is. Welcome. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Of course. So is there anything I missed? Anything else you want to tell us about yourself? Yeah, I think those are the main things. Like you said, it's yeah. kind of that memoir and business book. And I think sometimes when I talk to people about writing it, they're like, well, usually it's one or the other. But I feel like the story doesn't really make any logical sense if you don't see how, you know, the memoir and the personal side of it led into the entrepreneurship and the business and how those things are really entangled. So I think it was important to kind of lay that foundation and go through all the childhood trauma that I went through that kind of built that structure that I needed to excel as an entrepreneur. Cause I think you just go above and beyond when you're trying to survive. Right. And it just kind of mm -hmm. leads down that path. So where does your story begin? Okay. So it literally starts at the beginning. I kind of have like a chronological way to make sense of things. And I think it didn't make sense to go back and forth for different stories. So mm -hmm. I kind of started when uh, my parents split up when I was four years old. And I kind of opened the book saying I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth, but it tarnished. And at least that's what my stepmother told me. So for some reason, you know, those little tidbits that people say to you when you're growing mm -hmm. up, like it always stuck with me. So that's how I opened the book. And then from my parents separating, a year later, my brother went to go live with my dad and my stepmom, and he ended up dying in a, an accident on the farm. So he was basically left unsupervised, and he took the tractor out, and he basically, it rolled down the hill on the barn, and it landed on top of him. And um, oh. what I came to learn later is that it wasn't an isolated situation. Like we just were told at the time that they were home late from work or something like that. My stepmom should have been there, but they weren't. And I learned after the book came out that my uncle and his partner at the time had actually found my brother there alone the day before he died and actually took them home to Pickering for the night and like baked cookies with him and did all these things and then brought him back the next morning to go to school. And then he was left unattended again. So it sounds like in that short period of time that he was living with them, which was only about seven weeks. Those are two times where he was left alone. We know about it. I'm sure there could have been more, but knowing he was an adventurous 10 year old boy, like he never, ever should have been left alone. And, you know, that's something that my mom has struggled with for the last, you know, 30 some odd years, mm -hmm. but yeah, it was just 
a tragic accident for our family and the beginning of many other things that kind of happened when it comes to, you know, people passing away and dealing with like a very bitter separation with my parents and being pulled back and forth and moving around a lot. Like I moved around significantly and eventually ended up moving in with an aunt and uncle, which is how I landed in Pickering. So just had all those family crazy things to go through, but, you know, I think made me who I am and made me a stronger person for it, I guess. Mm -hmm. So your brother had gone to live with your dad, but you had not. Yes. My dad moved to a farm in Stouffville. So it had four acres. He had horses for a young boy. Like I could see how that would be attractive. So he obviously asked my mom, like, can I go live with dad? And they had been separated, I guess, at that point for just over a year. So he went to go and live with them. And then he passed away in the middle of October. So he kind of went to live there at the beginning of the school year. And then this happened just shortly after that. Mm -hmm. And how old would you have been at that time? So I would have been six at the time um, and he was 10. So there was four years between us. Mm-hmm. And you remember that, like you remember this happening. Yeah, I, I definitely remember. Cause I remember waking up in my sleep to my mom screaming. And so she was just saying she was going to like kill herself and throw herself off the balcony. And she had a, a boyfriend at the time. So she was kind of obviously got the phone call from my dad and, you know, just fell apart. And they mm-hmm. took me to stay with an aunt and uncle while, you know, just everything was happening. And I didn't know at the time that he had died. I just knew something happened and she was obviously having um, a bit of a meltdown. And then I didn't really find out till we went to the funeral. Like no one really said anything. We just showed up and, you know, everyone's crying. And like, they took me up to the casket to kind of say goodbye, but no one actually sat me down and said like, your brother was in an accident or he died. And like at six years old, you would understand something to do with that, but literally no one said anything. So I think for me, it was like just putting the pieces together while I was there and nothing really clicked in until we were at the, like at the cemetery when they started to like lower the casket. So I think from what I've been told, like I fainted and I ended up in the hospital and then my mom like threw herself on the casket and it was this big thing covered in the local paper and stuff like that. And so we were both taken to the hospital, but I think for me, it was just, I was in shock from everything that happened because I hadn't been, no one had really talked to me about what happened going into it. Well, I think we're all around the same age. Back then, kids were like, you were seen and not heard. It feels like, why would you, like, don't upset her. Like, everybody's too upset. Yeah, I mean, all they did was kind of dress me up and didn't tell me where I was going. I'm completely underestimating really how much a child can comprehend because there could have been a way of explaining it so at least you could grasp it somewhat. Although I think understanding what death is at six is a difficult concept, but but they could have tried. (laughs) Well, I mean, I have a daughter now and she's two and four months and she understands a lot. Like when I would say like, daddy's gone to work or grandma's coming to visit, like she may not understand the concept of death, but she's only two. So you'd think like by the time you're six years old, I'm sure I would have had a general idea of what that meant. Like we'd had a dog that had been put down and, and things right. like that right yeah. so I think like that probably added to the trauma just like how poorly yeah. that situation was handled and then mm-hmm. you know obviously a lot of things ensued after that point like my mom was obviously like a very big mess and after that year kind of passed I ended up going to live with my dad and my stepmom and that was a really challenging situation that I was kind of you know, put in and I kind of walked through all of those challenges, just, you know, some different like emotional and physical abuse I had with my stepmother and trying to leave and being sent back. And then 
you know, trying to leave another time and just like all the circumstances kind of surrounding that. So many thoughts about what kids can understand just because, I mean, like my story, my husband was killed at work and my sons were four and six and my four-year-old understood. Yeah. There was no question about it that he understood. And how did you communicate that to him at the time? that there was an accident and sometimes accidents are small and sometimes accidents are really big. And this was a big one and it caused daddy's heart to stop beating. Yeah. And that's the thing. Mm -hmm. I think you can't underestimate a child. I think like looking back, I would have valued anyone in the family to have at least tried to have that conversation before walking into that. Like, um, you know, looking yeah. back, that's pretty messed up. <laughs> well, I think a lot of it has to do also with just a discomfort around death and loss, and especially with how tragic and traumatic this accident. And like, was. I'm not really comfortable talking to a child about the fact that her brother died. So I'm just gonna not talk about it at all. Yeah. And just even the idea, like they would have probably said that he passed away and you wouldn't know what that, no, you can't understand that. Yeah. Yeah. If you say they died, if you say like an organ that you might know, like the heart, you know, you need your heart beating to live, like you can feel your heart beating, Mm -hmm. you know, like if you say the accident caused that to stop happening. Yeah. You know? And I think, you know, just aside from just the, that happening, I think because of the situation with my dad kind of leaving my mom for my stepmom and stuff like that, obviously they had a very uh, difficult relationship at the time too. So I think that there was just a lot of things like, you know, there's a lot of arguments and and all of that, but a lot of things that were left unsaid. And I think because they Mm -hmm. were in a situation where they could, you know, they were negligent in some ways. So they weren't very honest about the circumstances around it and stuff like that. So for many, many years, it's been unresolved for my mom because she just wanted the truth. You know what I mean? Like what happened? Why would he have been left alone or like those different circumstances? So, you know, just tried Mm -hmm. to, to work through it, but it does swell up in different ways. Sometimes, like, I feel like anytime I watch a movie where like someone dies or goes away, I'm a mess or, you know, just sometimes different things can cause you to break down. So you can be strong all the time. And then all of a sudden one small thing that someone says, or something that can remind you of something can cause you to break down. And I think that's just a reflection of the fact that maybe, you know, you never really dealt with it appropriately at the time. Mm -hmm. I think even when you do deal with it appropriately, that you're it could still come that. up. Yeah, but I would imagine it's that much harder if you haven't been afforded that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it sounds like, I mean, obviously, your mother was struggling with your brother's death, mm-hmm. as I imagine any parent would. Yeah. But it sounds like it impacted her mental health to the extent that she was no longer able to care for you. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was definitely correct, but it was supposed to be at the time, like temporary. So after a couple of years when she was trying to kind of get better to have me back and then, it, you know, she wanted me to come back and my dad didn't want that to happen. So then we went through like a custody battle with that. And ultimately they felt like having a family environment on a farm in Stouffville was better than living with a single mother at an apartment in Scarborough. Right. Just from even an optic standpoint, that doesn't look good. So I was sent back and then a few years passed and, you know, the situation, my stomach, kind of escalated over those years. So I had an aunt that asked if I would want to go and live with her and her family just to kind of get me out of that situation. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that kind of led me down that path of 
you know, being a hard worker and ultimately becoming an entrepreneur later on is that when you're living with other family, it's not your parents. So you can't necessarily feel like they're just going to like buy you clothes or do certain things, maybe in the same way that a parent would. And I'm not saying they didn't care for me. Like I had a roof over my head, I had food, but if I needed like a new pair of shoes or if I needed like a class trip, like you would feel bad for those kinds of extras because they're already giving you so much. So I was out there trying to get a job when I was like 13. And of course, no one would hire me because I wasn't old enough, um, but probably applied to 150 different places just because I wanted to have enough money to cover those kinds of things, like start saving for school and like any of those, those extras. And then you know, as time passed and you're older, like just when you're in school, I always had like three or four jobs and, you know, mm-hmm. and eventually when I started working with Tigris, it was really all a matter of survival. Like I, I couldn't get a job right away in my field, but I had to, you know, pay bills and stuff like that. And I was offered a, a brand ambassador position, which led into a management role and then partnership. And, you know, I think it just, all of it started from this place of survival, but I think mm-hmm. then you're working so hard that it ends up kind of leading to more and more opportunities and more business and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it, it definitely all connected in that sense. And I wonder if that sense of like, that sense of wanting to kind of earn your keep almost like not mm-hmm. wanting to ask for too much or overimpose or something like that. Yeah. Like, Like, I do wonder how much of that was your own internal, you know, the messages that were being sent to you living. No, there's like some specific things. Like I talk about a couple stories in the book. Like, so I moved in with them at the beginning of grade eight. And for example, they had like the grade eight class trip. And I had to basically tell my teacher, like my family can't afford it because my uncle just paid all this money for like a custody battle. Right. And the school ended up paying for me to go, even though I was literally like a brand new student there. And even like when I went into grade nine, like there was a a self-defense class that you had to pay for as part of your phys ed program. It was like 50 bucks. And I had to like tell the whole class and like, tell the teacher in front of the class that my family couldn't afford it. And I'm sure they could have afforded it. They just didn't feel like that was something they should have to pay for. And mm-hmm. then again, the school paid for it. So it was like, there were some very specific times where that happened and they had another child as well that, you know, he was in a lot of recreational sports and had a lot of like brand name things. And it, and again, I wouldn't expect any of those same things, but these are also things that were like school necessities in some ways, right? Like if you're not paying for them, you would, kind of be omitted from those experiences or what you're supposed to be doing. So I think just feeling that way, I just wanted to start it to, mm-hmm. you know, make that money so that I didn't have to ever be in those situations that I didn't have to ask. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That's why I was asking, like, how much is it internal or how much was actually being said to you? Like, we're yeah. not paying. Cause I mean, you need things when you're young. Right. And like when like going to Catholic high school, like it's a uniform. So those are expensive. Like there was things along the way that sometimes other family members would chip in. And, you know, my, my mom couldn't necessarily chip in all the time. And there was a long period of time. I didn't talk to my dad after I did move out. So it's not like he was contributing. So it was like this difficult situation to be in. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it sounds to me like at some point you kind of realize that You had yourself to depend on. And you had to take control of what you could. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so you kind of gave us like a, I guess, like a quick version, but you worked throughout high school. Yeah, I ended up starting working in, I guess, grade 10. So I had one job there. And then obviously, once you get out of high school and your university, all this time opens up. And I think the difference is like when you're in high school, like you're working so hard just to get to university. And then once you're there, it's kind of like, okay, well, 
whether I get like a 70 or a 90, like nobody's going to know as long as you get your degree. So I feel like schooling wasn't necessarily quite as important to me as it was in high school. Like I was definitely doing okay and getting by, but instead it was more like I, I just worked as much as I could. So I literally would work three or four different jobs at any one point in time, paying for school, paying for a car, like paying for all of those different things that you might need. And I think I was definitely like a yes person, like when opportunities came up, sometimes people can feel like that's outside of their comfort zone. So when someone said to me, oh, you should get into promotions, that was not even anything anybody knew about. There was no Facebook, there was no social media. So things like that were really exclusive and someone kind of opened up that conversation and ended up kind of getting in touch with that company. She actually didn't get back to me, but I followed up a few times, had the meeting, and then she ended up hiring me and one thing led to another. And that's ultimately how I ended up, you know, becoming a brand investor for the company I later came to own. So it was just, again, I think I just always was like, well, how can I make money? Like I've got all these bills to pay for. And so I would just kind of do a bit of anything and everything, just see what I liked and what was going to pay the bills. And, you Mm -hmm. know, I guess one thing kind of led to another down that path. Mm -hmm. So you got hired by a company, which then you later bought. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was working for this one particular company and the woman who hired me, she hired me and then I, I pretty much never saw her again. And a couple of years passed and I got a phone call out of the blue saying like, oh, do you remember me? I hired you back at this other company and I left and now I've started these other four companies. Oh, wow. <laughs> so she asked me to come on board and like host a stakes for her and do promotions for her. So I started out with that and about four months had passed and I'd graduated from university. So I was trying to like be a videographer. I was like out there shooting with Rogers TV every weekend in Durham and building up my demo reel and stuff like that. And just working like, again, other jobs just to pay the bills in the meantime. And she said, you know, can you come on board and be a manager for me? And she really didn't have money to pay for me at all. She was working out of her parents' basement, had a little bit of debt from starting the business. And about three days later, a city councilor reached out and said, you know, I want to hire an event planner. And she wasn't necessarily in the position to do that, but she's like, oh, I have someone perfect for you. But if you can't afford event planning rates then you can pay her full time and then I'll have her like, you can have her half of the time. So I ended up starting with him pretty much right away. So she actually got me half the time without paying me because he paid me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I ended up doing all these things like, you know, opening a lounge for him, doing like a bocce tournament for seniors. I ended up running, I don't know, like a soprasada making competition. And all of the events were intended to connect with constituents that would vote for him ultimately. So yeah. over yeah. the span of those six months, it worked out that, um, you know, I was able to do a lot of stuff with him and probably about two weeks after my contract ended, we started booking events for the PR company for Motorola. So started booking like much larger events than we had prior to that. That's amazing. That's so cool. And you went to school for journalism. Uh (laughs) Event planning. Uh, Obviously I'd been working in events all the way through university. So I had an idea of like how they worked on that end, but ultimately the, I guess, Shortly after I left the city, my old partner asked if I would become her partner. The good thing is that the company wasn't worth anything yet. So instead of buying in, I had just assumed half of the debt. So I became her partner. And three years later, she actually ended up leaving the company for personal reasons. So I was faced with a situation where I could either like close it down. We could split what was left and walk away. I could either partner with another company, but the problem was they would have 50% of the company. I wouldn't have 50% of their company Mm -hmm. or I could take the risk and buy her out. So I ended up choosing that literally in the middle of a recession that nobody really knew was coming, (laughs) but we ended up doing really well. Like we had some established clients that we were working with and 
you know, I felt confident in what we had built to that point. So it's event planning and then COVID happened. Yeah. So the company built up like considerably, like we just passed our 18th anniversary. So this was like year four. Mm -hmm. So as time passed, like ended up building up the company to um, 10 of us, we had an office by the Pickering town center. So it was like decent sized group of us. And then obviously COVID happened. So I pretty much let the entire team go except for one person. And I only really kept her because I had an infant at home. So it was all when I was early into my what should have been like a mat leave. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then all this crazy stuff happened. So I kept her, obviously not very much stuff was going on. We had probably about three or 400,000 in business canceled on us within a week, a million dollars in our pipeline, like disappeared. So she just logged her little heart out <laughs> while we we're waiting for business to come back. And it was like each fall, like things would kind of pick up and then we'd go back into lockdown. And, you know, we kind of went through all of that. But I guess two weeks before we went into COVID, the woman that I had promoted and trained to be my mat leave replacement ended up resigning. So I panicked and like listed the business for sale. And then obviously like horrible timing. <laughs> so right. I selling, you know, unessential un- business during COVID. We right. did have buyers lined up, but obviously they were like, oh, who knows what's happening. No. <laughs> they put in an offer, like pulled the offer and this went back and forth for like, a year, but we just kind of hung in there and, and kind of by the end, the girl that I had kept ended up resigning. And I was like, well, there's nothing left. There's no company. There's no people. All that's left is our website. We had invested like very, very heavily in digital marketing over the years. So we still had like so many leads coming in. So I ended up um, shopping around some different agencies and we were able to merge with another agency that, you know, they're kind of taking care of like booking all the events and pitching on business now. And it's only been It's coming up to two months and I think they've done 50 quotes already, booked all kinds of different projects. So, uh, but it took over two years just because of the circumstances where had COVID not happened, I probably would have sold it in like a month or two, Mm -hmm. just based on the business that we'd grown it to and how many clients we had and like how much traffic we get through our website. Yeah. I mean, that just sounds like (laughs) kind of a scary time because you've bought this business you've built it up you just had a baby yeah well and there's a lot of overhead right like our overhead was like 50 grand a month so you talk about like now what I'm like oh like I'd go back to our our landlord and just ask to come out of it and we ultimately got out of it because the tenants beside us needed to like socially distance their employees they wanted to take the space over beside ours so after seven months of sitting empty we finally got out of the lease had basically two weeks to get everything like packed up Mm-hmm. they bought like all of our furniture and like all that stuff. So luckily I didn't have to worry about trying to, to get that That's stuff out good. of there in such yeah. a short period of time, but that saved us like five grand a month. So really my only overhead at that point was the girl that I had remaining and a handful of other things. So, you know, cut our expenses down from, you know, 50,000 a month to like five, and then just took advantage of as many like grants and subsidies as I could. So we actually ended up coming out of COVID, like probably in a little bit of a better financial position than we were going into it. And then as soon as all the restrictions were lifted, it's like quotes have been pouring in, but the reality is like, how could I scale back up that quickly being one person, right? So it's not like I had 10 people behind me waiting to go back to work. Like I I never could have kept people for two years without money coming in, right? So I think that made the most sense. And, you know, I was obviously trying to transition into real estate. So it made sense to, you know, go down that path. And luckily I had done a lot of different like educations back in 2018, where I was able to develop different passive income streams and stuff like that. And I, I talk about that at length in the book in terms of like how, you know, I, I made all those decisions to have that passive income because COVID could have been a very different experience if 
I was depending on my business because like I just stopped taking money out Mm -hmm. altogether. So I was able to depend on like all of those things instead. Right. Had you looked into real estate as a result of COVID or was this something you were thinking of as you were becoming a mom? Because I know like event planning and being a mom is not very, they don't work very seamlessly together. Not necessarily. And I would say real estate's kind of the same, but because of the organization I joined in 2018, it was all centered around like real estate. So there's obviously like a lot that you can do in real estate, whether it's like rental properties, joint ventures, buying things on assignment, there's private lending, there's um, syndicated mortgages. Like there's all these things that are out there, but it's not necessarily something everybody knows. So I educated right. myself with a lot of that stuff and, and did kind of a lot right away. Like I bought um, two properties pre-construction, one that I kept and tenanted when I sold on assignment. I invested in a land development deal, three syndicated mortgages, and I've uh, done probably about 30 private loans in the last four years. So basically using like my home equity line of credit, the interest is 3%. Well, if I can loan it to someone for 20%, I'm making 17% spread on that money. So at any one time, like I try to usually have like five or six of those going on. And really it's, it's made me enough money that I could live comfortably without taking an income from my business. And during the period of time, like getting my real estate started, like obviously it's not like clients are just like waiting at the door for you and you're ready for them. Right. So, you know, since I started really working, which was in January, like it took a few months to land my first client and start making money. But thankfully I have all that passive income. So I'm always just talking to different members in the organization I'm part of because banks make it very hard to get money. So if you have money, you can loan, like, it's not like you loan it all to the same person, but if you can do like 10,000 here, 20,000 there, like 30,000 here, like spread that risk among like 12 or 15 different places, then you can be strategic to shelter your risk in some ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's definitely been a lot of learning, but I'm very, very grateful that I started doing it. So is all of that in your book? Yeah. Yeah. All of it's in the book. So I kind of cover all of that stuff and how it kind of saved me and the different strategies that I incorporated and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And you feel, I guess, like, I just want to make a clear connection between (laughs) sort of like the personal story And your business kind of story. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It Can probably makes I... more sense when you read the book. But I think, again, it's just going back to the, you know, where the living with my aunt and uncle and all of those things, like you, I didn't have anyone to depend on. Like I knew that I had to provide for myself. So I feel mm-hmm. like I've always been the type of person to look for those different opportunities where a lot of people be like, oh, that's risky or oh, that's out of my comfort zone. I'm like, oh, like, what do you need? And what can I do over here? And you know, it was kind of a joke that my husband's like, your MSN messenger name used to always be Busy Bambina. And he's like, I didn't understand it, but now I do. <laughs> and even like now it's like I have a, a two-year-old, but I'm still like doing all, I got my hands in like all these different things at any one point in time, right? So I think, you know, I've always liked to be busy. It gives me a sense of purpose, but at the yeah. same time, it's also that survival mode, right? Like you're always trying to provide and mm-hmm. and just like make a better life for yourself. Well, and I would imagine that like, not being with one of your parents or in like your home, a place that felt like your home, uh-huh. being busy kept you not there so that you didn't have to feel the way you did when you were there. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the moving around continued like well into my twenties. So my life goal is just like, I need enough money to just buy my own home. So I have like that stability. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, now I've, like you said, like being in the same place for 10, 11 years, like that's the longest I've ever been anywhere, but at least it's like your home, like you no one can tell you otherwise, you know what I mean? So I think that was a big Mm -hmm. thing. And now that, you know, I've 
probably achieved certain things. And at the age that I'm at, now I'm more thinking in terms of like legacy planning and, you know, how can I plan so that my daughter is provided for as she gets older? And like, if you kind of create these streams of generational wealth, like if I was to have like, you know, I don't need to be greedy. I don't need a lot to live on, but if I could have a couple of rental properties that I can eventually pass down to her, like that's passive income that, you know, can kind of pass through the generations and stuff like that. So what became surviving once upon a time is what kind of led into all of those plans. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And I think like going back to what you were saying about just moving around a lot and, I can relate to that because I moved around a lot as a child and I'm now living in a house that I bought with my husband and I've lived here longer than I've ever lived anywhere. And there is something to be said for living in one place and being able to kind of put down roots and know your neighbors and like know all the names of the local streets. And I know where to get the best donut in town. Like, it seems so simple, but when you move around so much, you lose those things. And I think that I've been able to kind of grow and heal a lot from being able to do that. And there's also, as you were talking about wanting to provide for your daughter, I personally feel a lot of pressure in that way to provide the things that had not been provided for me. Uh-huh in part because I know what it's like to not have those things provided. (laughs) But I think that the pressure as a parent coming out of a dysfunctional family, let's say, Uh is a little bit different. Yeah, no, agreed. I mean, when you say like, sometimes like an only child will always go and have like two kids where I'm technically the second oldest of seven with this crazy family, mm-hmm. but I'm definitely only having like one child. And, you know, I would have maybe considered having two. I think just at the age that we're at, like in COVID, all these things, like we decided that one is good for our family, but, you know, having struggled through university and at times using like payday loans and like all those kind of struggles, it's like, my daughter already has like $10,000 in her RSP, you know what I mean? And she's two. So like, that's yeah. not going to be her struggle. And I don't want her to feel like entitled or spoiled or anything like that. Like I do believe in giving more experiences and, you know, we'll probably try to say, well, we'll cover half of the cost. So you, she still has to work and feel like accountable to it. Like, I think mm-hmm. that's really important, but at the same time, I wouldn't want her to have to go through that, you know, where you don't know where you're going to pay your car insurance from or, and, and just, you know, having to overextend yourself or not focus on school because you're, you're working too much or something. Right. So I think people take those experiences and twist them around and, you know, hopefully she'll come out better for it. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting though, because we do, I think all parents, I don't know, or most of the ones I know anyways, want to do something differently than what was done for them because for whatever reason whatever their upbringing was there's something in there that they would like to do differently or better yeah yeah agreed like I said for me anyways that pressure to is just magnified I think by the fact that maybe I didn't always have some of those things. Our stories are not identical, obviously, but yeah, but there's definitely some similarities. So like when you talk about moving around, I was like, my friends would call me a gypsy. Cause it's like, you know, just definitely bumping around for different reasons. Like there are circumstances sometimes even within that, like living with my aunt and uncle, then they moved to Florida cause they won like a visa and a lottery. 
moved in with my mom for a while, then back with an aunt, then with the boyfriend, and then my aunt. It was like, I was just all over the place just based on things that may have happened. But, mm-hmm. you know, it definitely led to some uncomfortable situations because you're living somewhere sometimes that you don't want to. And, you know, it was just, you just deal with it as a matter of necessity, right? Yeah. What is your relationship like now with your with your parents, with your mom, your dad, your stepmom? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So my mom actually ended up losing her job in 2008 and moving in with her sister that I lived with when I was in high school. So uh, they literally live eight doors away from me, (laughs) which is really nice just having her that close, considering I spent like, you know, 12 years in my childhood, not living with her now for the last, I guess that's, you know, been 14 years that she's been so close. So especially during COVID when like, you're not seeing anyone, at least she was close enough that, you know, we had family close by. So we've got a fairly close relationship. I feel like I've said this before, it's kind of insulting, but she understands like, this is my take on it. I felt a lot, like I've lived a lot of my life trying not to be like her because mm-hmm. I felt like she was very complacent, just never um, tried to push herself forward, you know, work these dead end jobs and never, you know, provided for herself in a way that she would be okay down the road. So a lot of the struggles that she's gone through, I'm like, I never am going to be dependent on like my husband, like I always want to be financially independent and secure mm-hmm. in those ways so that I'm not facing those situations that she did. So we are close, but sometimes I get frustrated because we're also like very, very different. So I, mm-hmm. I try to do what I can like to, to help her where I can. My dad and my stepmom, I honestly, I probably talk to my dad like a couple times a year, like when I see him, like it's nice to see him. And, you know, I'd say we get along and all of that, but I wouldn't say like we're close. We don't talk all the time you know, my stepmom actually had a lot of health issues over the years. So, you know, he's like almost 70, like still working a lot because of just seeing things that have kind of happened. So when I wrote the book, I didn't talk to them about it, but obviously once you start promoting it, like, you know, my stepmom's friends were kind of all over it and, you know, they've probably mentioned some things from the book. And I had a friend that asked my dad, like, are you going to read it? And he's like, he basically said no. <laughs> and, you know, it's not like that's the focal point, but obviously the first few chapters start at the beginning and all of those different things, but he doesn't want any part of it. And he just kind of said, you know, I I've spent many years trying to heal and this is part of her journey. And like, you know, she's my daughter and I love her, but I don't need to read it. So. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's okay. Yeah. It's not to make them look bad. Like I really tried not to exaggerate anything. It's like what it was, what it was at that time. You know, it's all, mm. it's part of and my well, story. It's, and, yeah. And it's from your perspective. It's your story. It's not. Yeah. yeah I'm sure there was a lot of other things. Like I, I can see, I try to see some things objectively. Like I know that, you know, my mom probably wasn't a walk in the park. She was so angry, you know, the woman scorned and stuff like that. So I think there's things on both sides that were you know, very poorly handled. Like when you hear about people like co-parenting and like, you know, the kids stay in the same house and the parents swap in and out like that. That was like the total opposite of like my parents. <laughs> I don't think anybody did that. In the same room together. Well, I give credit to people you hear, but that's like modern parenting. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think right? anybody like, back then did that though. <laughs> no, like it's just so interesting though to hear about what people do now. It's so different from what like I would have experienced and probably most people, but I mean, my, my parents are still married, but my impression of divorce is probably more in line with what your experience was. And when I started working in Hollywood, my first day, I had to call one of my boss's two ex-wives oh about 
the other one's kids and going so oh. and, I, and I looked at the girl who's training me I was like is this gonna be an uncomfortable conversation like am I diving into a landmine she's like no no, no everyone gets along I was like okay oh gosh yeah yeah, yeah well, definitely well, not okay. You know, <laughs> I mean, I'm... and it was, it was fine, but it, that was not what I expected. I was like, is this like trial by fire or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think when, when we were growing up, cause you know, I'm slightly over 40, I don't want to age myself too much, but you know, people divorced and it was kind of like the kids usually lived with mom and saw dad every other weekend. That was yeah. more typical than what you see now, which is more often like actually co-parenting uh-huh. and Evenly split. Week. even yes, exactly. With one, and living in the, the same neighborhood or same community. And yeah. And that may, I mean, may have been possible. Like with my parents, again, my dad lived in Stovall. My mom was in Scarborough most of the time. So like, that's, it's not super far, but it's still like back then that would have been considered like a good distance. So it was, I definitely only saw my mom like every couple of weeks. And, you know, I think it's definitely very hard, but at the same time, I feel like, I mean, I can't relate to it, like to lose like your whole family and then like to lose a child and all of that. Like it's something that until you're in that situation, you don't know how you would necessarily handle it. Yeah. So I do try to to keep that in mind. I just think, you know, everyone's different, how they would make those decisions and process them would be different. But, you know, obviously she spent many, many years trying to get through it. In fact, I got her a a certificate for a medium back in for Mother's Day last year, because she has so many unresolved feelings about my brother. And it was just crazy because the woman that we ended up seeing nailed like his name, like where he died, how he died, like knew it was like a riding lawnmower, like you know, pass along current messages, named like all of my mom's siblings by name, like anyone that has like a lot of the people in our family that have passed away, like very, very specific key things. But she did say some things like about my brother that I think put my mom's mind at ease in some ways Mm -hmm. that, you know, I think had that accident not happened, maybe in that particular way, like maybe it could have been something else and, you know, just trying to be positive and, and things like that. So I know it's not something that everyone believes in, but there's no way that this woman could have known like any of these things just like it was just crazy right like very very specific particular details about like names and and the time of year like everything so did it bring Mm -hmm. your mom some peace I think so like I I wouldn't say perfectly like I think she'll always have some you know anger and unresolved unresolved feelings about it but at the same time like I think you know hearing those messages kind of passed along and all of that like I think I think overall that it did yeah. Like, I don't yeah. think you'll ever be over it, but I think it did help a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that you just touched on there. Something that has come up, I think so many times in the podcast is this idea of never really getting over it. And of course there are people who want you to just get over it, but the reality is that these things happen and they fundamentally change who we are. And maybe you learn to live with it, except that it happened, except that it's part of your story. But I mean, your mom's never going to forget that she had a child who died. No. Right. Like that is always going to be there. You'll always be like, well, it, it didn't necessarily have to happen that way. Like, I think that's what will always play in your mind, right? Like that it shouldn't have happened. And I think whether it's an illness or an accident, I'm sure a lot of parents feel that same way. Like they could have done more or, you know, maybe she hadn't let him live there. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. you always have those feelings and it was just the 
the total opposite, like where my mom like would openly talk about it and was very openly emotional about it over the years. My dad, my stepmom just literally never, ever, ever talk about it. <laughs> like, so it was just like, as if life just carried on as if he never existed. You know what I mean? Like they just carried on with their relationship. They got pregnant with their first child. Like whether that was, he, whether he was conceived before the accident, immediately after, like the timing's like super close. Okay. And then when I moved out, they got pregnant with their second child. And it was like, same exact timing. So I left in September, their next child was born in May. So like, almost like she was trying to replace us. It was kind of weird. And then they had a couple more past that as well. But yeah, just the circumstances around things were so bizarre, but it's like, yeah, they just carried on, like nothing happened. So it's Mm -hmm. very odd. And behind closed doors, like, who knows, like my dad could have been crying every night for all I know, but we, you know, started the show because we feel there are so many, so many of these stories and things that we feel like people do need to talk about. But the fact of the matter is, is that it's so different than it was 30 years ago. Uh Yeah. Uh I do think though, there still is just the fact that you're talking about how your dad never talked about it. I think there really is just so much pressure on men to be tough. And to not show emotions and, and to uh-huh. carry on. And I'm not saying it's right, but I think that pressure is there. Yeah. And as you said, you don't know what was going on behind closed doors, but certainly he was publicly tucking away those feelings. I think it probably is even more layered in this specific instance, just because of the circumstances too. Yeah. Well, it happened at his house on his property when he wasn't there yeah. for sure there's the instinct in it and the very easy easily it would be very easy for your mom to blame him and like oh yeah she totally blamed them there's no way around that i would imagine there could have been like charges and things like that well I, so my mom attempted to but the police just chalked it up to saying it was an accident because i believe my dad told them like you know he, he went out to get him for dinner and he didn't come in or called him for dinner and like they weren't even home so like what the police were told obviously was different from like what actually happened and what how it was covered in the media Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and then I guess my mom said that when she tried to reopen the case a couple years later like the investigating officer had passed away so they basically said like it couldn't be reopened because that person wasn't there anymore so she just kind of hit roadblock after roadblock but I think she did definitely try to do that Mm mm-hmm how did it come out that they weren't there then? Like if the initial story was that they were. Yeah, I mean, it was just what was covered in the media. I think I just always been told like they had gotten back from like a job site late. So my stepmom had a daughter who was only like a year old. And that's what I didn't understand. Like if you have a, a daughter that's that young, like especially now having my own daughter, I was like, what the hell would she be doing? Like following my dad around to a job site. And when I talked to an aunt of mine about it, she said that because my dad had left my mom for her, she was paranoid that he might do the same thing to her. So she would kind of like follow him around to these job sites and stuff like that. And, you know, back then there was no cell phones or whatever it was. (laughs) So, I mean, that's what I heard. I did have an uncle that was working with them at that time. So again, like when he showed up um, to deliver a work truck on the Sunday, he found my brother home alone the day before he passed took him home and like kept him for the night dropped him back off and then Mm -hmm. the next night he went to drop off the truck again and he didn't see anyone home so my dad and my stepmom were not home and he didn't find my brother but at that point he had probably already died but he wouldn't have gone to like check you know the way the property is structured like you wouldn't necessarily think to like go to the barn and like look down a hill or something like that right but then they got a call from my dad at eight o'clock at night 
saying like, oh, do you have Justin again? And they're like, no, uh, like you don't have him. Like we were here earlier and we didn't see anyone home. And then I guess my dad went looking for him and then called the police and called like an ambulance and then called my uncle back saying like, he's not breathing. So they ended up meeting them at the hospital. And the one thing my aunt had said about that, like just, she goes, I'll never forget just the whole night and everything that happened. But she said that my stepmom's body language reminded her of someone that was protecting themselves. So I found that kind of interesting. Like, I think again, she, she was supposed to have been there. So I'm sure like they knew that they were, they had some responsibility in that situation, Mm -hmm. but between like things I'd heard over the years and like what I've heard from other family, like that's kind of how we pieced things together, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can't imagine any adult in that situation feeling good about what happened. Oh, of course not. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, yeah. So between my dad and my son, like they kind of banded together, who knows what they told the police to protect themselves. Right. So I think that's probably like a fair assessment of the circumstances Mm -hmm. at that time. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your brother? Like, it's up to you. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like I was so young, so I I can't say I've got like a ton of memories. Sometimes Mm -hmm. the memories are like through family, but like I definitely, when you're four years old, like you don't, you don't know much. So I like definitely thought I was going to marry him. And I would tell my (laughs) babysitter, I'm like, I'm going to marry him. They're like, you can't marry him. Like, I'm going to marry him. (laughs) Like, not even understanding the concept of marriage when you're that little. Yeah. Yeah. And like the different little things. Like I remember being crazy, like going to the park and like, he'd always go down the slide head first or pretend the neighbors were going to barbecue his head or like these crazy things to like just be an adventurous crazy little boy at the same time like my mom would always tell stories about how he like cut my hair off and like hit it behind the dresser she went to like (laughs) wake me up and there was like dog food all over my crib so he's like trying to feed me dog food when I was like really (laughs) little yeah (laughs) you know so like who knows like I was probably like in love with him he probably wasn't in love with me you know being the little sister and maybe taking away some of the attention and stuff like that (laughs) yeah and he had a one accident where again just being adventurous he decided to stand on a bicycle so his foot on the seat and his other foot on the handlebars and someone pushed him (laughs) and obviously like that didn't go well so he face planted in the concrete lost his front tooth and like I just remember driving like on the highway to the hospital like he had a, a tea towel like just covered in blood and and I think I was in the back seat of my mom's Thunderbird telling him like, he'd be fine. And meanwhile, he's like bleeding everywhere and like, <laughs> is this, you know, going to need like dental surgery and stuff like that. But that was just kind of the kid he was right. Like always tried to do those crazy mm-hmm. things and, yeah, you know, it's ultimately what kind of led down that path. But again, if it hadn't been that, like it, it could have very well just been something else. Mm-hmm. Right. Because he was a wild one. Yeah. Yeah. He's just a risk taker. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for telling us. Yeah. Thank you. for sharing. (laughs) What would you hope that somebody would take from away from the story? story? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the way I've looked at it, because again, it's that memoir and also like on the business side, when I started to share the posts on social, like paraphrasing different things from the book and stuff like that, I did have people reach out that were relating to things like they were going through a divorce or like, you know, because of that, like their kids were, you know, feeling the the brunt of a custody battle and things like that. So I think just for someone that's grieving or going through difficult times, like hopefully this is something that they can relate to or helps me give them a different perspective to help get through it. And then for someone that is pursuing entrepreneurship, like I do share stories about not only the struggles that we went through, but how we also like 
changed the business around and focused on different things to help build the business and, you know, mediating issues with employees and clients and stuff like that and giving some of those tips and tricks to try to help help them if they're on that journey. So I think they, you know, it can kind of serve two different audiences, but Mm -hmm. they do kind of weave between like the personal and the professional as the book progresses. So hopefully, you know, just considering where I started to where things end, hopefully that um, inspires some people about what's possible in their own path. Right. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. We said that at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story with us. Yes. Yes. Anytime. Thanks for listening to the Now What Pod. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. You can find us on social media at the Now What Pod. Until next time, we're Tisha and Jen. Remember, your story matters and you do too.